HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, I'm Kathy Array, the host of Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. This summer, I'm taking a little break and having co-hosts Talia Ralph and Brianna Kurtz host several episodes. I'll see you back in the fall. Hello, hello. You're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Talia Ralph. We're thrilled to be here broadcasting live from Roberta's, bringing you all the best in words about food and maybe even some food about words. Who knows? Um, well, first off, happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. Um, so just to set the record straight, I feel the need to mention that Cinco de Mayo is actually the commemoration of the Battle of Puebla in 1862, when the Mexican army achieved a victory over Napoleon's French forces. Lots of people mix it up and think, hey, this is like Mexican Fourth of July. But no, it's not. So <laughs> tell your friends that tonight over margaritas so at least you guys all know what you're cheersing to. Um, something else people tend to gloss over or draw a blank about, myself included, is Mexico's desserts and sweets. We get all excited about tacos and tamales and tequila, but I know I personally have a big gap in my understanding of Mexican dessert. So I'm really looking forward to setting a few records straight with today's guest, Fanny Gerson. Fanny is the chef and owner of La New Yorkina, which makes high-quality artisanal Mexican popsicles and other sweets. She's also the co-owner of Dough Donuts, so I can blame her for my addiction to their hibiscus donut in just a second. Um, Fanny's also the author of two cookbooks, My Sweet Mexico, which was nominated for a James Beard Award in 2010, and Paletas, which is all about frozen treats. Um, she's also working on her third book, so we're thrilled Fanny could take time out of a really busy and really sweet schedule to speak with us today. Thanks so much for being on the show, Fanny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so first questions first, are you a fan of Cinco de Mayo? And if so, how are you celebrating today? <laughs> <laughs> I sort of have uh, mixed feelings about it. I mean, for me, any chance to celebrate Mexico is, is great. But uh, but I think it's more like an excuse for people to get wasted and <laughs> um, which which can be fun. 
but uh, you know, for for me, of course, I just the fact that people think that it's our celebration of the Mexican Independence Day. That's that's the aspect that I don't really like because then when we do want to celebrate independence, which is in September, um, it really goes unnoticed outside of Mexico for the most part. So that's where my, my mixed feelings come from. Right. Do you think the holiday, as it's celebrated in America, tends to you know, oversimplify Mexican cuisine or culture? I think that the way it's celebrated um, in the States, Cinco de Mayo, is really about, um, you know, uh, uh, the drinking aspect of it, the food, the celebration. So it's definitely oversimplified. It's not about its history. It's not about, you know, it's, it's a day that people are, know, know they're going to have all these margarita specials and <laughs> um, all around town. So... Yeah, but again, then they show their love for for the cuisine and and tequila, and that's not that's not a bad thing. Right, and are you doing anything to celebrate the day? What do you have planned? No, no, I do not <laughs> <laughs> do anything to celebrate because, as you mentioned before, you know, it's really just a day for us to commemorate. I mean, uh, what I do is sort of through my work. You know, we do uh, for La New Yorkina, we do these special bandera paletas, so which bandera means flag. So it's the, the three colors of the flag, and then uh, at Doe we made a Mexican chocolate with spicy candied pumpkin seeds. So I, I, I celebrate through through my work, but I don't really go out to, to to party per se on that day. Yeah, well, this sounds awesome, and I definitely want to get to what you're doing at, <laughs> at Doe and, and La New Yorkina in a little bit. Um, but first off, your books, I mean, both My Sweet Mexico and Paletas, um, for me at least, seem to have filled a real hole in sort of my understanding of Mexican cuisine. I don't know that I you know, could have named a Mexican dessert other than flan <laughs> before I, I saw yes. your book. So I'm wondering if you could just um, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to to write them and, you know, if it was in part this, this gap? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, um, working as a pastry chef, uh, when I, my first job as a pastry chef was at Rosa Mexicano on the Upper West Side in, uh, in New York. And when I went to wait uh, in Mexico for my visa, um, you know, I wanted to start researching different cookbooks and uh, magazines, articles, anything I could get my hands on uh, and try to learn a little bit more about them and then reinterpret them. And I realized, I hadn't really thought about it, I realized there was very little written about Mexican sweets or desserts because for the most part it's an oral tradition. So it's, uh, the recipes are more passed down from generations to generations. That's one aspect of them. And then, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of people that are very um, focused on creating a lot of these. So, for example, ice pops, you know, the paletas, people don't really make them at, at home because you go to the paleta shops. So a lot of the stuff wasn't even, you know, like the, the, the oral tradition in that was in the business aspect as well. You know, so it's a very sort of self And it came to a point where, um, you know, after many years of trying to find them, I said, well, you know, is anybody going to write this book? Has anybody ever written? And there is stuff written, but not with that, with the focus of what I was looking for. So then I thought, maybe I need to write the book. Um, I went to visit this ice cream town that my aunt, Alex, had uh, told me about. 
that she heard about, but we didn't really have an address or anything. We just knew a general area in the outskirts of Mexico City where it was. So I went with my sister. We went. It took us forever to get to find it. It's not really a town per se. It's um, it was about seven or eight blocks uh, in the middle of a highway. And you have all of these, uh, you know, beautiful, colorful buckets and signs, very poetic names of these amazing ice creams um, with incredible flavors. And that experience was sort of uh, what inspired me, you know, the root of what inspired me to to research more and find out more, I thought. Just like this uh, ice cream, so-called ice cream town, there must be a million stories uh, that need to be told and found and... Uh, you know, I, I, that, sort of, that was sort of the beginning. So what were some of those flavors or, you know, things that we wouldn't expect to be, you know, Mexican ice cream? What, what were some of those surprising flavors for you? Well, it was just, you know, I realized that it wasn't just about the flavors, but it's so much uh, about the tradition of eating ice cream and that you still find it for the most part, um, you know, in little towns, you find them made by hand, you know, the, the old-fashioned way with the buckets and the ice around it. Um, and, and that aspect of it, that it's so embedded in our culture that you don't really stop to think about it because it's, it's just sort of part of it. Um, more so than the flavors themselves. But even the flavors, uh, you know, they had mole. The, two, the, the ice creams uh, that I tried that particular day that just blew my mind, uh, one, uh, it was, uh, there, there's a dessert called uh, chongo zamoranos, which is uh, kind of a milk curd, um, and there was an ice cream made from that. And another one was uh, maria cookie, which is sort of like our graham cracker. Um, ice cream, and it was, you couldn't, the, the ice cream didn't have chunks. It didn't have, like, a mealy texture as if it was ground, but it tasted just like you had taken a bite out of the cookie. And I was, I was just, it, it, was, it was amazing. And, of course, all the fruits, the amazing fruits that you find in Mexico um, are, you know, in all of these different ice creams and sorbets. So uh, th- that's sort of how it all started. But uh, it was funny when you mentioned earlier that, you know, not knowing about Mexican desserts, when um, I was doing the research and I would meet people and tell them about about it, they would often ask me, you could write a whole book about it? Really? <laughs> and to me, I'm like, you could actually write a whole encyclopedia about it, just even in the, in the candy uh, section, for example. Like, there's so many regional candies. Um, that you can find all around Mexico. And uh, that was actually the, my original idea. I wanted to do a book on uh, candies and confections. Um, and then it evolved to, to, to what it was. For sure. So uh, what were some of your family's you know, oral dessert traditions? I'm sure that must have inspired um, at least some of the book. Actually, it's funny because we didn't have a lot of... Um, well, there was one dessert that my uh, grandmother and my mother's side uh, prepared, which was a very simple sort of um, milk pudding type of dessert uh, with raisins but, um, and thickened with, uh, with corn. But for the most part, we didn't have a lot of those traditions. I just always loved food. <laughs> but for my parents, we, you know, uh, they always really, they weren't necessarily uh, foodies, but food is such an important part of the culture in Mexico that 
you sort of grow up around it. You have these traditions that you go on Sundays and you have your paleta or your sorbet. When people came over, we would have these confections. Um, and, and one of my parents' uh, friends growing up, he was a manager of a bakery. Um, it was like a European-style bakery, and I remember just going in there and being enamored in, uh, of seeing the melted chocolate, and I was like, oh, my God, this is it's like magic. So I didn't have um, a lot of those traditions, but friends of mine did, um, everyone did, and so that made me actually more curious about it because I didn't, I didn't have many, many of my own, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. I have similar mm-hmm. fantasies of, you know, having jealous of all my friends who grew up around restaurants or bakeries. There's definitely something magical about it, especially if you're you're already fascinated by food, which I think we both <laughs> <Yes>. are. Um, <laughs> so I'm wondering um, what questions you get the most aside from, wow, I didn't know you could write a whole book about this. What are people sort of asking you or most surprised about when they do, you know, try your paletas or you know, look at the book and find a recipe? Um, I think what, in terms of the book, people are very interested in the cultural blend and not realizing that uh, there was a lot of influence from the Spaniards or hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, and then, you know, also the Arab influence that the Spaniards had them, themselves. And so all of those flavors and techniques when they came to Mexico created a new kind of cuisine, a new kind of blend. So that aspect of it um, I find fascinating and uh, people seem to be really interested. I get a lot of um, emails and questions about that. So I think that, you know, you sort of start thinking about it in a, in a different way. Um, and then also, uh, you know, sort of the process of how how I got to document a lot of these things because because it was very difficult. Actually, very few people share their actual recipes, but a lot of people allowed me after a lot of convincing and <laughs> things like that. It took me a year to do the research. Um, to that that aspect of the research, you know, trying to. Um, allowing me to at least see the process, and then I sort of had to fill in the gaps um, with my experience being a pastry chef. Um, and so, so that, in terms of the book, I think that that's what I, I feel people are more interested in. As far as the, the paletas, um, a lot of people that didn't grow up in Mexico are very curious about a lot of the, the, the sweet salty, spicy combinations that you see. You know, we have uh, a little um, thing called tajin, like a salted chili. Have you have you tried it before? I haven't, no. So you, we sprinkle it on top of the paletas. So, you know, people, you know, the way that you would sprinkle salt in, on a steak or something like that. So we season the paleta. But in Mexico, you find paletas already, already completely covered in chili. You don't even see the color inside. So, um, and also that they're all natural, there's a lot of chunks in them. So the textures, so I think the textures and flavor combinations are very, um, people get really excited about, which of course excites me. 
That sounds amazing. I'm sweet, salty, spicy. I could definitely, yes. <laughs> definitely get We need to get that. you some. I'm going to go drop on some off this week. <laughs> yes, definitely for the summer. So we're going to take a quick break in just a second. But before we do, um, I won't ask you to divulge any recipes. You can keep those. But I'm wondering if you have a favorite dessert or paletta that you make. And if you could share with us what it is. That's hard because it really depends on what I'm in the mood for and what the celebration is. Um, uh, being, you know, now that the sun is coming out, I would say the mango chili paleta. That's what that's what I'm craving <laughs> right now. So that's definitely what what's on my mind. Uh, that's that sounds really good right about now. <laughs> so we're gonna take a quick break. Um, hopefully, you guys won't all leave us and run out for your mango paletas and wait another fifteen minutes or so. We're talking with Fanny Gerson, who's the founder and chef of La New Yorkina and the author of several cookbooks about Mexican sweets. So we'll be back in just a second. Whoa, the way you took it so slow. so satisfied No, I ain't never, never, never Never had no loving like this before And I I just want to testify That you Yeah, you made me feel so good inside Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back. This is Eat Your Words, and I'm Talia Ralph. For those of you just checking in, we're chatting with Fanny Gerson, who is the owner of La New Yorkina and the author of two cookbooks, My Sweet Mexico and Paletas. Um, so, Fanny, I actually hear a little bit of background noise. I'm wondering where you are. Are you at Doe right now? Uh, yes, I am at Doe. I'm outside. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. We have a lot of traffic. I keep trying to move to a place where but cars just keep coming by and then inside the store then you have the customers for so. sure <laughs> well it's good that you're busy i won't fault you that for um at all so can you um just tell me a little bit because again i'm a huge fan of your donuts i know they're sold sort of all throughout new york um how you came to co-found dough um yes so uh one of my partners and i used to work together well he was my boss, uh, at a place called Choice Market, which is only a few blocks away uh, from uh, the dough shop in Bed-Stuy. And uh, I used to be the pastry chef there. And the, the year that I started La New Yorkina, we, we, we became friends. Um, so he, and he actually let me use uh, his kitchen to do a lot of the recipe testing when I came for, for My Sweet Mexico. So he knew very much what I was doing. And when I finished the season, he asked me, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, you know, I, I, I wanted to try out the idea of La Neoquina for the summer, but obviously it's not 
Paleta weather right now, so I was going to do consulting and then figure out my next move for La Niorquina for the next summer. So he said, how would you like to help me open a donut shop? And he took me to the location he had, and I looked at him like he was crazy. I'm like, how are we going to open a donut shop here? <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know how people are going to respond to that here, but okay. You know, and um, so we, it was very funny because he's French and, well, as you know, I'm from Mexico. So we didn't really grow up with donuts the way that most Americans did. I mean, we did have our own version of donuts in our respective countries, and we did have donuts. But, you know, you don't have that same nostalgic factor. But we talked a lot about the kind of donut we wanted to create before even starting the testing. He really wanted to make a big donut, but not a big filling donut. It was more a celebration, like let's make a, a statement. If you're going to have a donut, like have one. <laughs> um, so I just I, I said, okay. So I tested recipes for many months and then little tweaking here and there. But in baking, when you if you add a little bit of salt or you take a little bit of sugar, it doesn't just affect the flavor, it affects the texture, it affects the way that the oil is absorbed. So one day I finally, I, did, I said, I, I have it, I have it, I have it. And then uh, soon after that, I think three weeks after we opened, because once we had the dough, we, didn't, we hadn't even talked about the glazes or anything like that. But once we had that, that we knew that everything else came, um, came pretty fast. And did the name dough come from that exciting moment of getting the dough right? Or? No, but it's actually funny because I think it really uh, hits well. I think uh, his, uh, my partner's wife, friend came up with it. I, you know, it was sort of like, oh, we're opening a donut shop. What do you think? So everything has been very organic um, for both of my companies. So I think that that's, that's something important to me. Um, that's sort of just how I, how I how I am, I guess. Definitely. And I, I just hope you know that the the big celebratory donut attitude surrounding dough donuts is alive and well because when I first had one, it was actually when I first moved to New York and I got here on a Saturday morning with all my bags and I was um, killing time at the glass shop on Classen where I, you know, you guys keep your donuts and they were like it's a Saturday you know like go big or go home I was like considering the donut it wasn't true and they're like you gotta have a donut it's a Saturday so yeah I think well it's funny because a lot of people when they come for the first time they're like oh I won't be able to finish it and we say you are because we also didn't want it you know how sometimes you see a do- certain donut you bite into them and then you feel it's air and other ones are very heavy so you know here sometimes they finish one and they can have a part of another one, <laughs> so so um, so we we were very very happy with um, with with the dough. That's great. So um, we are celebrating Cinco de Mayo today a little bit, um, but we're also sort of working on debunking some misconceptions about you know, Mexican dessert and cuisine. And so I'm wondering if you could um, talk a little bit about your feelings about the state of Mexican food in New York. You know, how do you see the landscape? Because, you know, I've, I've had Tex-Mex here. Um, I know there's some really good genuine Mexican cuisine. There's definitely some taco trucks. And so I'm just wondering if you think there's a, a good representation of Mexico's culinary culture in New York or if there's something missing that you're like, oh, I wish we had. Sure. I mean, I think that uh, New York has a bad rap in terms of Mexican food. I think that, um, you know, people think that you can get most other cuisines, you know, great restaurants, but Mexican is one that's been lacking. And I would say I agree somewhat. I think there's a lot of mediocre places or 
that aren't that great, but I think there's some awesome, uh, you know, Mexican foods. I wish we had more uh, street food, um, but that, again, comes with all of the, you know, laws for street food in New York and things like that. But, um, and I think that it's a very exciting time. There's a lot of, there's a couple of really talented Mexican chefs that are very hot in Mexico right now, and they're going to open in the next uh, year or so in New York. So I'm excited to see that. People love Mexican food, so um, I, you, you see it more and more, and people are craving um, the, the cuisine. But I definitely think that there, uh, it, there are many more great restaurants than people give credit to. Um, but there's also different kinds of restaurants. I think that the one thing that I, I feel is missing is regional cuisine, because for the most part, people think as Mexican cuisine as a, as a whole, um, or they think of it as tacos, when um, that's, the, that's the one thing that I wish was better represented, um, just region, regionality. Okay, and who are those those chefs that you mentioned who are coming to open restaurants? From uh, so Enrique Olvera is uh, opening a restaurant. He owns Pujol in Mexico, which is one of the top, I guess, restaurants uh, in the world. I, I don't know the, the number <laughs> for the Evian. Um, I don't know what number ranking he got, but he's um, he's an amazing chef. And um, Daniel Ovadia, who owns a restaurant called Paxia in Mexico, he's also opening up. Um, I'm not sure what they're, if they're going to be different than what they're, they're doing in Mexico, but, you know, it just it gets the conversation going. It gets people exposed to different uh, flavors, different techniques. And, you know, sometimes it's hard because something, you know, like I made once this ice cream. Um, uh, it's like a toasted corn um, it's called pinole that we make in a beverage and to me like it's one of my most favorite flavors uh, so people on the one hand you know they didn't know how to respond to it they like it but they don't have that sort of emotional attachment that we have and we get excited and I think a lot of that has to do with education you know, like educating the customer and sharing all of these amazing flavors and ingredients that we are more and more able to bring to the U.S. Definitely, and you'll, you'll have to send us their way when they open. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I actually, um, I first heard you speak um, a couple weekends ago at the Food Book Fair, and you were on a panel about race and food, um, and it was a, a great group of speakers. And I thought you brought up a really interesting point, actually, about um, immigrants in the city and how many um, work in kitchens in New York and are you know really integral to the city's dining scene. Um, mm-hmm. But they also have a lot of struggles to stay here legally and you know often just sort of go unacknowledged. And so I was wondering, um, I know it's a big topic, but if you could just share with our listeners a little bit of your own story about how you came here to New York and maybe sort of what you've seen with some of the staff you work with, because I know you do um, hire a lot of people from Mexico that work with you and just sort of share with us a little bit of that experience. Sure. I mean, I think that people, um, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, they just talk about people that are either undocumented or illegal or legal here, but they don't really stop to think about why they are doing that. Like, they just think they want to be here that way. Um, when I went to, uh, I went to a cooking school to the CIA, 
and I uh, I went to the embassy, the American embassy in Mexico, and I'm never going to forget. There was an older man in front of me. Uh, he must have been like 85, 90 years old, or more or less. And he had a picture of his great-granddaughter. He had a plane ticket. He had all the documents that they ask you for. Um, and he wanted to come visit and, and see his great-grandchild. And the, the ticket, you know, his uh, family had paid for it. Um, and they asked him uh, for this, the, the ridiculous amount of, of paperwork, you know, his uh, parents' uh, birth and death certificates, his brother's, uh, certificate of um, education of primary school. I mean, these things that he was never gonna uh, gonna get. And you know, when I've gone through the process legally, um, but see, being exposed to what people that are trying to do it legally, um, they 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 can't. You know, they think I, I don't know. Like he clearly wasn't gonna come to work here, but they didn't want him probably. You know, to to. Uh, reap benefits, um, you know, and not come back to Mexico, no, not return to Mexico. So when you work in that environment and being in the restaurant industry, and you, uh, I talk to all these um, co-workers and cooks, and their stories, they're just, they're heartbreaking. Everything that they have to go through to get here to work. And then once they get here, you know, they work very hard. And for if you ask most of them, they have no intention of wanting to stay here. They want to go back. They just, you know, unfortunately, Mexico doesn't offer um, the same employment opportunities uh, as, as, you know, to provide for their families as it does here. So it's a, it's a topic that is very sensitive, and, and I, I really want to, you know, like even I, I want to sponsor um, people, but it makes it very difficult because if you find somebody here that's a very good worker and very talented and you want to sponsor them, they have to go back to Mexico because they're here illegally and you have to start the process. So it's just, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing at all and it's very complex. And, uh, but, you know, people turn the blind eye because, you know, they are amazingly skilled workers and they're passionate. And if you go to a lot of restaurants, it's true. You know, in, in New York, uh, you can go to French, Italian, it doesn't matter, but you're going to see most likely people from Mexico in the kitchens. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, um, it's, I think it's great that you talk about it and are, you know, making people think about it more and, um, definitely offering some some insight and some help so um we're almost out of time but before we let you go um can you give us a little taste about your third book that you're working on ah i'm not sure if i'm allowed to talk about it yet (laughs) because um because we haven't officially signed but it is going to be with 10 speed press again and uh it will have it's going to be related to the work i'm doing with la neorquina (laughs) <laughs> um, but it won't be a New York Kina cookbook. Okay. <laughs> but a very small I, think, taste. I think that's safe to say. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And so um, for our listeners who are now really craving a mango paleta or <laughs> anything yes. else, where can we find your your treats and your popsicles this summer? Uh, well, the, the main place is uh, at the High Line. We are right on the High Line, which is on, uh, runs uh, along 10th Avenue for those people who haven't been there. And we are between 17th and 18th Street. 
And then we are also um, in our production kitchen in Red Hook, which is the same place that we unfortunately flooded and lost uh, pretty much everything. But we rebuilt, and we are going to be opening a little sort of takeout area um, sometime in June. So we're going to be able to have paletas and Mexican ice cream and sweets. And then we do have an online store so you can um, buy some of the sweets and soon paletas as well. Perfect. Well, it's getting to be that weather, right? Um, yes, finally. <laughs> finally. Well, we're out of time, but thank you all so much for listening. And of course, a huge thank you to our guest today, Fanny Gerson, who's the author of My Sweet Mexico and Paletas and the co-owner and chef of La New Yorkina. So until next week, this is Eat Your Words, and I'm Talia Ralph. Thank you so much, Talia. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.